How about I pray and we'll uh, have a crack at this. This is a bit of fun, Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. I think there's some serious bits as well, but there's also a few laughs, Lord willing. Uh, So let's pray and we'll have a go. Uh, Father God, we do again thank you for this uh, fantastic book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you've preserved it for us and you've included it in your word uh, through generations and centuries. And Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, you would do part of your job, which is making God's word alive in us and transforming us and changing us uh, so that we're more like Jesus uh, each day and week and month and year. And we pray this for his sake. Amen. Um, when, I, um, when I decided to preach on Ecclesiastes a few years back at church, uh, I didn't actually know what God was going to teach me through it. I kind of started it thinking it would be okay, but really... I didn't really, didn't really know what was going to happen with it. And, you know, I knew a little bit about the book. I knew uh, that it said that life was meaningless. Uh, I knew that, that there was that verse in uh, chapter 7, about halfway through chapter 7, verse 18 or 20 around there, it says uh, that the man of God avoids all extremes. And you can, you know, pluck that verse out and use it to just about cover anything. Um, uh, I knew that the teacher talked an awful lot about death and dying. And so all up, I kind of thought that it was a pretty depressing sort of book. Uh, But I figured also, well, it's in the Bible and I haven't preached on it, so I probably should. Uh, That was when I started and as you've probably guessed by now, it turns out that most of what little I knew about Ecclesiastes was wrong Uh, and the only part I got right, I think, was the bit where we all die, uh, which isn't going to win me a Nobel Prize for Literature anytime soon. Um, and this became apparent when I started reading uh, some books about it and listening to a few people who actually did know something uh, about Ecclesiastes. And I discovered that, you know, as we saw in that first talk, life isn't meaningless, uh, as the NIV unfortunately says back there in the beginning. Um, this word has more to do with the fleeting and sort of transient nature of life. It's here one moment and gone the next. And you see that, as we've seen, or hopefully as you've seen, changes the whole book. Uh, It goes from being something that's quite depressing to being something that's actually quite liberating and joyful. Uh, Life is short, so enjoy it. Enjoy all the days that God gives you to live. And I think this actually, this idea of approaching Ecclesiastes like this freaks religious people out. Uh, And by religious people, I mean people who think that life is about rules and laws and regulations. Uh, Those kind of people like everything to be tight and uh, restrictive They want to know exactly where the boundaries are uh, with no loose ends uh, and they want to know the boundaries for two reasons. Uh, The first reason they want to know is because uh, they want to push up against those boundaries and go as close to going over them as they possibly can but be convinced that it's not sin. And the second reason they want to know is that when they stay within those boundaries they like to be able to look at the people who are outside the boundaries and say, oh, dreadful sinners, dreadful people. I haven't crossed the line. I'm religious. I'm quite good actually. Right? That's what a religious person thinks. And I know what you're thinking, Steve. You know, you're thinking, Steve, you know, this is, this is the branch. This is the Reformed Church. This is the Anglican. We're not religious. Goodness, Steve, how dare you? Really? <laughs> Here's what I mean. I'll give you a few questions that religious people ask and you see if it starts to ring a bell somewhere. Okay? Religious people ask, how many drinks am I allowed to have before it's a sin? Is it two? Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have five. I went from four to eight. 
But is it, is it, four, is it eight? Because, you, know, you know, I can, I can handle my drink. I, it's okay. I can. Is it only a sin if I throw up? <laughs> if I manage to sort of keep it down, is that okay? If I leave the tequila alone, is it all right? Now, when you're a bit older and maybe you're married and you've become a little more refined, and by that I mean you've swapped rum and coke for cab sav, um, does it mean, you know, you think to yourself, well, I won't drink to excess in public because that would never do, right? Uh, I've got my church face to kind of protect. People would talk. And so your religious question as you get a bit older is, well, does it count if I'm at home and I have a few too many? It was just the wife and I. No one saw us. No foul? Is there a flag on that play? <laughs> or, uh, or maybe a religious question is this. Maybe you're a bit younger, you're going out with someone, you, you've got a girlfriend, and you say, well, how, how far am I allowed to go with the girlfriend before I'm sinning? Can I hold hands? Can we kiss? Maybe a bit of tongue. Can my hands go for a little wander? Can we go a little bit further than that? Perhaps if we do everything but have sex, is that okay? Or you're married and there's another woman and it could be at, at church, you know, wherever your church is. It could be here, it could be someone at work. It could be one of the mums of one of the other kids at school. But someone you see from time to time and there's a bit of an attraction thing going on. And, and you know, you, most of us have probably been in that situation. And your question is, when does that become sinful? Is it when the eyes meet just a little bit too often? Is it when I begin fantasising about her? We didn't actually do anything, it was just here. Is that dodgy? What if we meet up for a coffee, just to chat? What if we touch, what if we start texting? Is that, have I crossed the line if we start texting? Or maybe it's money. Should I put 10% of my income in the plate? And the religious person always says, is that 10% before tax or after tax? <laughs> right? <laughs> you laugh because you know it's true, don't you? Right? you know, and maybe this week I spent a little bit of money on church. I bought a few things for youth group or for, for morning tea, so maybe 8% will do this week. Is that okay? Uh, or maybe you're at 15% because you and Jesus are really tight. You know? <laughs> maybe that's you. See, we're all pretty religious, actually. There's a little Pharisee, we all have a little inner Pharisee that wants to know the boundaries, wants to know the lines, because we've all asked those questions about a whole heap of things over the years. All of us have done it. And Ecclesiastes is a very confusing book for us religious folk because it doesn't give us clear boundaries. It doesn't say, right, this is sinful, that's not. Right, do this and don't do that bit. Uh, instead, here, God kind of gives us this freedom to rip into life and enjoy it because it's so flippin' short and we're going to die sooner than we want to and it's all over. He tells us 14 times in 12 short chapters to enjoy life and he says, enjoy everything I've given you. This is God speaking to us, enjoy everything I've given you. Food and wine and family and friends and your wife and sex and children and work and pleasure and whatever else. Right? God didn't create all these fantastic things on this planet and make it so beautiful and then sit back and say, now don't you lot smile while you're down there. Right? That's not what God was thinking. But that's what religious people think God is like. See, religious people think God is the fun police. And many of us, probably, I grew up in a church like this, it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't intentional, 
But I grew up with the idea that if it feels good, it must be bad, so stop it, because God doesn't like you smiling. There is a pretty good chance that I'm speaking to a bunch of blokes who grew up in a pretty similar kind of environment. It wasn't actually intentional, I think. The men who taught me, I don't actually think that's what they wanted me to hear, but that's what I heard. So Christianity became this kind of white knuckle ride where you just hang on for grim death and try not to tick God off too much. Is that what we think God's like? Really? Well, chapter 11 and 12 is the last bit we're looking at. I'm sorry we've had to skip a big chunk of it, but uh, this is the end of the teacher's wisdom and our friend the teacher here goes out in sparkling form. All his big themes kind of get tied together and he gives us this simple and yet complete guide to living the best life that's imaginable or possible on a fallen and sin-scarred planet. And here's what he says, verse 7 of chapter 11, Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may have, let him enjoy them all. Enjoy, 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 right? Uh, But let's remember the days of darkness because they're many. You're a long time dead. Everything to come is... Well, it's not meaningless, right? We know that by now. But everything to come is very fleeting. It's over before you can really kind of grab hold of it and enjoy it, right? It's transient. So, be happy, young man, while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Look at this one. This is the Bible. I'm not, I didn't write this, okay? I'm not making this up. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things God will bring you to judgement. Now I can hardly believe that's in the Bible. I don't think anyone said that to me when I was a kid. Probably a good thing. Um, But look at it again, right? Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Now I don't know about you, but I've heard plenty of sermons and I've flippin' preached sermons that have said the opposite of that. Right? Got up and said, don't do that. Don't follow the desires of your heart, right? Because your heart is wicked and sinful. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is wicked and deceitful. Uh, Who can understand it? Right? And that's true right up until the moment you repent of your sin and you get down on your knees before Jesus and you ask him to forgive you and you ask him to give you his spirit and you become a Christian. Now, your heart can still be dodgy after you're a Christian. All of us know this. So you've got to be a bit careful, but uh, this is one of those verses I think that really needs sort of careful attention, otherwise it can be abused in all sorts of ways. So here's what he's saying. If you love God, if you're a Christian and you love God, you will love what God loves and you'll hate what God hates. Right? That's the bottom line. So the ways of your heart, if you're a Christian who loves the Lord Jesus, the ways of your heart, the desires of your heart will not be to run headlong into sin. Right? Deep down, that's not what you want to do. Deep down, if you're a Christian, what you really want to do is honour God and live wisely and humbly and joyfully before him. That's what you want to do. See, if you're a Christian, your sin has been forgiven. Jesus died. His death pays for your sin. Right? He lived a life that we didn't live and haven't lived and then he died the death that we deserve to die. That cancels out our sin. Then God has given you his Holy Spirit so you can joyfully follow the ways of your heart because God's Spirit lives in it. And what you really, really want to do deep down is please Jesus because that's who you're living for. So get this, you know the, day, you know the days when you're tempted to sin, right? Which is basically any day 
from Monday to Sunday. Um, any day that you are tempted to sin but you manage to resist it. Right? You know those days when they happen? They're flipping awesome, aren't they? How good are those days? You know, you, you listen. You actually listen. For a change, you listen to God's Spirit. That little nagging voice that's saying, no, 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 you don't need that eight schooner, Steve. <laughs> that little voice. That's meant to be a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> just should, should say that for the tape. Um, but those days when you actually listen to God's Spirit in the background saying, eh, you probably should think about this one. Aren't they fantastic? You feel unreal when, they, when you actually listen to what God's Spirit saying and you follow the desires of your heart and you don't do the wrong thing. Now I reckon he actually goes further than this. Uh, so I want you to look at the next bit kind of in a, a roundabout kind of way. Okay? He says, know that for all this God will bring you to judgement. Now this is pretty awesome I reckon. God gives us this glorious thing called life. right? And he will hold us to account for the stuff we failed to enjoy. Now normally we're used to looking at around the other way, aren't we? Now let's, let's turn it around and look at it like this. Judgment isn't just about God holding us responsible for all the dodgy things we do, right? all our normal sins, all the lust and the greed and the drunkenness and the whatever else and if you don't do any of those things your sins will be righteous, self-righteous, arrogant pride. right? But all of those normal kind of sins God will get stuck into us for but he's also going to get stuck into us for all the fun things we didn't do. So have a think about it like this. Right? Just try and think this is God speaking. God's going to us, what? I made cows. And you didn't go to the jailhouse grill on Wellington Street? <laughs> you, you didn't go there and eat the, 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 the eye fillet steak with the Diane sauce? Yes, I know it's expensive, but gee, it's good. <laughs> what were you thinking? Like, you were here for 70 years. You knew where the place was. You drove past it every other day. Pick up the phone, make a booking. I, I, I invented cliffs and rope and abseiling's really good fun. Yes, it's a little dangerous, but you know, have a go. You know, I, I put the cliffs there, they're big. I made someone invent really good rope. I invented canvas and paint. And you've never been to an art gallery to look at Caravaggio or Renoir or Monet. What, really? French Impressionism was a really good idea. And music, Mozart, Beethoven. I inspired those guys to write stuff. You never bothered to listen to them? You too. Bono and the boys. They're great. You didn't listen to them? You listened to rap instead? Really? <laughs> you never drove a fast car around a racetrack? You never did that? Porsches are great. <laughs> You never looked closely at a sunflower. Seriously, I made those things pretty big. You must have noticed. <laughs> you, know? you lived in Tasmania and you never went to Cradle Mountain. You never went to the Franklin River. You never went to Mowbray. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you, you were too busy to play with your kids? That would be the kids I gave you. you. You were too busy to play with your kids. Think about that one for a second. So you get the idea. When you, when you hear it like that, you, you start to think, gosh, there's a few things perhaps I need to change so that God doesn't judge me for the things that I failed to enjoy, that he gave me to enjoy. God is breathtakingly creative. He's the author of fun. 
And yet so often we fail to rejoice in the beauty and the excitement of his creation. And he will want to know why, gentlemen. Um, It's interesting when sometimes you turn things around and look at it in a slightly different way. Perhaps none of you have ever thought of looking at it like that. Um, Let's move on, chapter 12. Look at verse 1, look at what he says there. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. So the day is coming when you and I will wake up and we will wish we hadn't. Right, that day is coming. For some of us it's perhaps a little closer than others. Uh, my granny died when she was 95 years old and for about the last 25 years of her life she said, I find no pleasure in these days. Right, she was a little bit miserable for the last 20 odd years. Now her mind was mostly sharp. Uh, she made us, We ended up having Christmas with her every year because oh, this could be my last. Anyway, um, uh, her mind was mostly sharp uh, but you know she was as blind as a bat by the end, and you know she couldn't really look after herself. She couldn't wash herself. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't go to the toilet by herself. And so for the last few years she was, you know, dead set. I find no pleasure in these days. And she was a pretty solid Christian. Uh, and she would, she said to me a bunch of times, you know, I think God's forgotten me. You know, what am I still here for? This is no good. Uh, and I tell you the truth, fellas, these, those days are coming for us. We will wake up one morning and think, I find no pleasure in these days. Youth and vigour uh, aren't meaningless, as, he, as he, uh, we've, we've sort of covered that, I think, pretty well, but they're fleeting. And in the days of our youth, we are to remember our Creator. Now, this verse, 12 verse 1, is here because it is so easy to forget God when you're young. Really, really easy. I, I, you know, when, when you're young, you don't think about old age. And you don't really spend much time thinking about death unless you know, something like the, the car accident the other week happens. That kind of makes you think about it. But normally, no, you just don't think about it. Right? I used to work with old people and uh, work in, do a bit of stuff in nursing homes when I was a younger bloke with a bunch of mates at church. We'd go up to a nursing home and uh, do a church service for them and sing a few old hymns for them and all that sort of stuff. And I promise you, people in nursing homes think about God a lot. Most of them do. Because they know that they're going to meet him pretty soon. Deep down, somewhere, they, they kind of get that it's probably not going to go well for them too. Uh, they don't call nursing homes you know, God's waiting room for, for nothing. Uh, they are the last stop you know, before you check out in a box. And for many of those old people, their lives were wasted. Right? Decisions were made when they were young with no reference to God with no prayer, with no Bible, with no wise counsel from older, wiser Christian people. They did not remember their creator when they were young and their lives from 18 or 20 onward were largely wasted and marked by fear and tragedy and sadness and whatever else. A waste of a life. And for those of you who are still young, this verse begs us to remember our Creator. And I would say that those of us who are young are under 42, because I'm 41. So, <laughs> so this verse says, make decisions remembering your Creator through prayerful dependence on God. You know, you're in churches with wise old Christian blokes I said to the young guys last night here at Boost, they are just about the best resource. Apart from the Bible and the Holy Spirit, the old blokes in your church are just about the best resource you'll ever find because they've lived it and they've walked the talk for 50, 60, 70 years. They're the dudes to talk to. 
Because if they still love Jesus when they're 80, you want to know what they know. If you're single and you want to get married, make a decision. Look for a wife with your Bible open, praying that you find the right one, another Christian who loves Jesus like you do. Remember your creator while you're young. You're at a dinner party and you're thinking about having another drink. Right? You're young and this is what happens. Right? You, you think to yourself, okay, I need to consider this next drink, remembering my creator who made alcohol. He made wine and beer and all that sort of stuff for me to enjoy, but he made it for me to enjoy responsibly, not abuse it. And I need to make that decision about that next drink, remembering my creator who doesn't want me to suffer the consequences of drinking too much and waking up with a rotten hangover or doing something stupid with a woman who's not my wife or getting locked up for drink driving, or being a really bad witness and setting a bad example for my kids. So I need to remember my creator when I'm young thinking about that. There are a whole bunch of things that shout out at all of us, come to me, come to me. What's on on Sunday morning? Everything is on on Sunday morning and church. There's a whole bunch of things. They come and do, come and go. Remember your creator while you're young and don't always put church or your youth group or your Bible study last. Now, don't get legalistic about it either and think, oh, I have to be here every week, every week, every week. Don't, you don't have to think like that either, but don't always put God last. There are a million things that are screaming out for our attention. Make decisions, remembering your Creator while you're young, set in place stuff now that will reap rewards for you in years to come. The stuff that you decide to do now, if you're a young bloke, will largely determine what sort of bloke you are at 50 and 60 and 70 and that will determine whether you at 70 are worth the young blokes in your church talking to. Old age and death are coming and we need to be ready because they're not pretty. They're funny but they're not pretty. Have a look at what it looks like. Uh, Old age is, is depressing, right, but... This is real. I love the way he's written this. Look at verse 2 of chapter 12, okay? So remember your Creator before the sun and the light and the, uh, the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain and when the keepers of the house uh, tremble and the strong men stoop. So when your eyes don't work like they used to and everything goes a bit dim. When the clouds return after the rain, I think is the thing is, you know, you get a bit older and you end up getting up four times at night to go to the loo. Right, that's the clouds returning after the rain. You just rain? What do I need? What's going on there? Right. Uh, uh, the keepers of the house, your, your arms and your legs, and they start to to kind of shake, like a bit like you've stuck a knife in a toaster or you've been tased by someone. You know, they're all you'll be there like this. When the, look at the next bit. When the grinders cease because they're few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. So in old age, you've got no teeth left. Or well, they might have teeth, but they're not yours. And <laughs> And, and you can't go to the jailhouse grill and eat that steak, okay? That's why, do it now. Go home and book it now. I've got the number in my pocket if you want. Um, uh, your eyes don't work anymore. And he said that twice now, which is another sign of old age because he can't remember that he said it in the verse before and he's just repeated himself. You know, I've, I've noticed over the past couple of years uh, that I, I have no trouble reading but things that are a distance away, think, think, it's getting a bit blurry, you know? So I like playing golf and a seven iron for me is about 150, 155 metres, and I've no idea if it lands on the green. I can't see that far. 
You know, it's terrible. And I sit at the back of church and I look at the projector and everything's blurry and I think, gee, it's a good job I've been in church while I know that song. You know, it's terrible. It's really, really, it's really quite awful. But he's not finished yet. Look at this. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds. So it's not just dodgy teeth or no teeth and dodgy eyes. Your ears don't work anymore. Right? That's what the, the doors to the street are closed. You can't hear anything. Right? But weirdly, you wake up to a bird at five o'clock in the morning. You can't hear someone talking to you, but a bird, you know, tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, there's a bird that lives just outside of our bedroom window. And he's quiet all winter because it's too cold for him. But as soon as the sun starts getting warm, half past five, the little mongrel, he, and I wake up to him and I think, you little swine, sound asleep. You know? And I reckon he looks in through the window and he just he's almost asleep again, beauty. And he just keeps doing it. It's about 15 seconds or so. It's like, oh, you are kidding me. If I could see the thing, I'd kill it. I'd get a shotgun out and blast it away. It'd be awesome. Uh, next bit, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms. When you're young, you don't worry about heights. When you're young, you do all sorts of stupid things. Half of you blokes are builders. How many of you will run around on rafters while you're building? Yeah, piece of cake, isn't it? 23, swinging the hammer around, rafter, rafter, rafter. You're not doing it at 60, are you? No, at 60, you're like, the apprentice can go up there. <laughs> uh, my, my 12-year-old kid uh, jumps off anything. He, he's mad, um, does front flips and back flips and all sorts of crazy things. He climbs up shipping containers and does back flips off them. Right? He's mental. He's really, really good at it, but he's crazy. And yes, we've been to hospital and yes, he's broken an arm, but whatever, you know, he'll be fine. Uh, but when you, as you get older, I'm not jumping off a shipping container. You know, I busted my knee earlier this year in the gym and it's taken me like six months to even run. Really, really annoying. You know, the almond tree thing here. Almond tree blossoms are white. So the almond tree blossoms. Look around, fellas. Who's got white hair? That's you. That's the almond tree blossoming. Or maybe you've got no hair. The blossoms have fallen off, right? (laughs) And he's not finished yet because he gets... And the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred. You know where this is going, don't you? It means exactly what you think it means. It's a very creative way of stating the obvious. When you get old, the grasshopper. I've never heard it called that before, but (laughs) there you go. (laughs) The wedding tackle just doesn't work like it used to. The, the, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he didn't have Viagra to help out, so he was lost. Uh, And in the end, with or without Viagra, we die. We go to our eternal home and the funeral procession uh, you know, wanders through the streets. And this all sounds a bit like a, a house auction, kind of, doesn't it? It's kind of going, going and yes, gone. That's it. Uh, verse 6 is about death. Remember him. Remember your creator. All these things are about death. Before the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the spring, the wheel broken at the well. They're all metaphors for death. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Not meaningless, but fleeting and vaporous, says the teacher. Everything's over so quickly. And verse 8 is the the last uh, that we hear from our teacher. Uh, After verse 8 he stops 
And from verse 9 to the end, we're back to our narrator who kind of kicked us off at the beginning of chapter 1. This is the guy who gathered together all the wisdom of the teacher and gave it to us in this book. It's kind of like we're at a bit of a fancy dinner and the MC or the main speaker has sat back down. The MC now gets back up to, to wrap the night up and he starts with a bit of a thank you. So have a look at verse 9. He says, Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of adding anything, adding, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end and much study wearies the body. Those of you who are doing exams anytime soon for school or uni or TAFE or whatever it is, you'll know that last sentence is dead true. Much study wearies the body. And the narrator here introduces us to, to the last character I guess we'll meet, kind of the last character we'll meet in Ecclesiastes and that's the shepherd. He says that the sayings in this book are like goads. Uh, a goad was a, a long bit of wood that shepherds used, stuck a few nails in the end to, to, to keep their sort of sheep on the right path. If they started to stray a little bit, they just sort of lean over with the with the goat and just kind of give it a little bit of a whack on the side and the sheep, the sheep would get back on track. Uh, it wasn't designed to hurt them because their wool's thick enough to you know, cushion the blow a bit but just to kind of get their attention. And I don't know about you blokes but there's been plenty of times, um, gosh, plenty of times when I've been reading through Ecclesiastes and other times as well where the shepherd has given me a bit of a whack uh, with a goad and I don't have much wool uh, so it hurts. And I think the shepherd is Jesus, I would imagine. Uh, in John 10, you know, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. I think he's probably thinking about stuff like this and probably Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes uh, Ezekiel 34 as well, I think, that, you know, where that talks about the, the shepherds of Israel, all that sort of stuff. I think Jesus is thinking about that sort of thing. So the words of this book aren't just the words of the teacher, they're, they're God's words. And since Jesus is God made man, they're his words too. And so Ecclesiastes, I think, ends up looking a bit like a map. You know, we're on this earth and it can be fairly confusing and there's crossroads and there's decisions to be made and we're not quite sure what to do. And I think Ecclesiastes helps us get around this planet still with a smile on our face most of the time. And so now that all has been said, that needs to be said, here's his conclusion, verse 13 and 14. He says, now all has been heard and so here's the conclusion of the matter. Simple. Fear God, keep his commandments for that is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it's good or evil. And so throughout Ecclesiastes, all the way through it, joyful living is encouraged and recommended but joyful living is also serious living. Because there's a day of reckoning approaching. And verse 14 is really clear about that. It's why the teacher, I think, talks about death so much because it's so near. So we are to enjoy life but not foolishly think that everything is permissible and that God will ignore sin. So there is a lot of freedom but there is a restriction, I guess, to that freedom. And yet the teacher is not a religious kind of bloke and again by that I mean that he just hasn't kind of set out a series of rules for us to follow 
and then told us that by religiously obeying these rules everything will be okay with God and us. He's actually done the opposite. And yet he finishes in verse 13 by saying that the whole point of, God, of, of life is to fear God and obey his commandments. This is the whole duty of every man, woman and child. So you, you look at that and you think, gosh, nothing's simple in the Bible, is it really? You know? So what does it mean in this context that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments? Because clearly Old Testament Israel were not able to do this, were they? With any lasting success. Look, sure, they had their good days here and there, but the vast... You know, the vast message of the Old Testament is no, they failed completely, miserably, hopeless. And so then we need to ask ourselves the same question, are we any more able to do that, to fear God and obey his commandments? And you know what, you've got to end up saying yes, we are. And that might kind of sound a bit weird at first. But you see, all the way through the Old Testament, God promised his people that he would redeem them, take away their stony hearts, replace their stony hearts with a heart of flesh and give them his spirit remove their sin, remember their misdeeds no more. And this happened. Right? If you're a Christian, God has given you his spirit. So in many ways you are like Old Testament Israel, but in many other ways you are not. The, big, the fundamental, main, massive, massive difference is you have God's spirit. And that is a huge, huge difference. We actually have the capacity to fear God and keep his commandments in a way that Old Testament Israel never did. Now that does not mean that we get it right all the time. Please don't hear me saying that. That's not true. But, it's a big but, right? Augustine, one of the early Christian preachers um, and writers, really clever bloke, mad hedonist, complete nutter when he was a young fella, came to his senses, whatever age he was, about 30, kind of realised that that was not a good way to live, became a Christian, wrote a heap of good things, said a heap of good things. This is one of his finest moments. He said this, well I can't remember what language he said it in, it sounded probably much better than what I'm going to say it, but this is what he said, love God and do what you like. Right? That's kind of a summary of it. Now think about this second. Love God and do what you like. Right? Not love God and stop smiling while you're down there, you people. Not love God and deny yourself any form of pleasure, but love God and do what you like. Now that's what this teacher is saying to us, I think, here in verse 13. It isn't just a, I don't think that's just an, an explanation of that verse. I think it's actually a good explanation of Ecclesiastes and probably a pretty good explanation of the whole of the Bible. Now I know some of you are probably sitting there going, really? Yeah, really. Love, listen to it. Love God and do what you like. Here's why. If you love God, what you want to do will reflect the fact that you love God. Right? You won't want to do the wrong thing because you don't want to offend God because you love him. If you really love God, you'll love other people. So you won't want to do anything that hurts or offends or abuses or uses or whatever other people because you love God. Love God, do what you like. I am uh, politically fundamentally opposed to the Greens in just about everything. Cannot stand it. But because I love God, I don't want to abuse the planet that God's given me. I don't want to chuck rubbish out my car window. Uh, I don't want to do unsustainable things to the environment. I want blokes to be able to make a quid and provide for their families and all that sort of stuff. I don't want to buy caged eggs or eggs you know, from caged chickens. I don't think that's right. I don't have a fur coat, but I like shooting stuff. You know, love God, do what you like. And it just so happens that because you love God, what you like doing reflects the fact that you love God. I reckon that 
that is one of the most liberating things that God says to us. Listen to the same idea. In case you think, okay, sure, Steve, maybe you're getting that from the Old Testament. What does the New Testament say? Listen to this. This is Paul in 1 Timothy 4. The Spirit clearly says that in later times someone will abandon the fa- uh, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And the guy who wrote Ecclesiastes would stand back and say, Amen, Paul. Amen. You got it. Love God and do what you like. Because all the dodgy stuff that tempts you, and it does, right? We know, I said it a minute ago, there are things that tempt us to do the wrong thing every day, but you don't really want to do it. Right? When you really think about it hard, long and hard, you think to yourself, most of us are probably tempted at some level by pornography on our computers. Right? But we don't really want to look at it. Now that doesn't mean that we don't, it doesn't mean that we always succeed in that area, but we don't really want to do it. See, sin is not your deepest desire if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, your deepest desire is to honour God and live wisely and joyfully before him, following Jesus and enjoying all the great things God so generously gives us. That's what you really want to do. You really want to love God and do what you like. Now I think this changes a lot of things for us. Being a Christian is not meant to be the white knuckle ride. You know, where you become a Christian at whatever age and then you grab on and you you just hang on for grim death and try not to fall off. And I think Ecclesiastes shows us that that view of Christianity is wrong over and over and over again. Fourteen times God tells us, the, the, the shepherd tells us, the wise teacher, whoever you want to call him, tells us to relax and enjoy life. Fourteen times. And I think he says it so often because he's hoping that by the end we'll go, oh, maybe he's onto something here. Because we don't listen the first few, do we? <laughs> but maybe after fourteen we will. Guys, I hope um, that this has been a, a bit of a, a challenging and liberating look at Ecclesiastes. Um, because this, some of you, you may not agree with the way I've kind of approached it. That's cool. That's okay. But have a think about it. Think about the idea of love God and do what you like because what you really want to do is actually the stuff God wants you to do. If you're a Christian, the deepest desire of your heart is not to sin. You actually want to live wisely and joyfully and humbly for Jesus. So resist sin. Look, fellas, we, we, we need to be encouraging each other to resist sin all the time. You know, you need to be accountable to each other. Talk with your mates about the stuff you're struggling with so that you can be encouraged to resist sin. But we also need to be encouraged to enjoy this life that God's given us. And when you see each other working too much, as you will, a pat on the back and a, hey, let's go out for a steak and a beer, mate. That's not a bad thing either. Encourage each other to continue loving God and loving each other and, yes, taking care of this planet and using it sustainably as good stewards. 
and do what you want to do, which really is to honour God, fear God and obey his commands because that's what you want to do. And that, I think, is a joy-filled life. How about we pray? Uh, Father, there is, there is a lot of freedom that comes with being Christians. And while many of us, Lord, perhaps have had an idea of Christianity that perhaps isn't quite this freeing or liberating, uh, that may be quite a challenge to us. Father, my prayer is that, that uh, we as Christian men wouldn't abuse this freedom. Please save us from thinking that we can go on and sin as much as we like so that grace may abound. Uh, that's not what you're saying to us here. Please instead, Lord, teach us that this freedom that you've given us is a life that means that we're free to obey you and to joyfully do what you've called us to do, which is fear you and obey you. And that weirdly ends up being the best life anyway. Father, please uh, help us to think about your word carefully, um, to take you seriously and to take ourselves not quite so seriously. And please teach us and help us, Lord, to be more like Jesus. That's what we're aiming at being and that's what we really desire to be deep down. We pray this in your name. Amen.